This is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation, and this is the Space For You podcast. Conversations with the people who make today's space community and space adventure possible. I'm joined today by Colonel Paul Lockhart, retired of the U.S. Air Force, but also a retired NASA astronaut, two-time flyer. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about character counts and the opportunities that young people, wherever they may be, to go on an adventure, not only with Paul, but pursue their own adventure in exploration. Paul is a native of Texas. As I mentioned, he's a retired Air Force officer with numerous duty assignments around the world. He's flown more than 30 aircraft and the space shuttle, which makes him the exact person you want to have in the co-pilot seat at any point, because he's going to get you there. But as a native of Texas, I've got to ask, as someone who's been an adventurer and an explorer, Paul, it's great to have you here, but i got to ask you, how did your life adventure begin? Who was Paul Lockhart as a kid? Thanks, Rich. What a great question to start with, and I'm very pleased to be with you on this podcast, and uh, um, my great um, uh, you know, appreciation to the Space Foundation for um, underwriting all that they do and the impact they have around the world. So, hey, you're asking how did this all begin, and especially out in Texas, well, that's pretty easy. So go out in the middle of where I grew up, the wind blows hard, uh, and as you stand out in open fields and you look around, uh, there's very few trees, so you have a clear view from north, south, east, and west, and at nighttime, there's nothing to block the, the stars overhead, and you take a young boy at that time, so we're talking the early 60s, and you hear about something called a satellite, and your parents take you outside, and you pick up that satellite moving from west to east overhead, and it's just a small dot, but it's a bright light that's moving among the stars, and you capture a young boy's uh, imagination. So that's where it began. So you really were one of these people who grew up wanting to be an astronaut. Well, the fascination started there, but then when you mix that, that poignant moment when a young boy sees something outside of his normal world, meaning the satellites traveling overhead, and you mix that with the exciting images on television, so the first launches of uh, the uh, Mercury 7 astronauts and then the early Apollo launches, yeah, well, that kind of grasps you and kind of uh, takes a young boy, at least it did me at that time, and, and say, what an exciting thing to be a part of. And it wasn't as if I knew anything about it. I just knew that... Uh, that space was on television all the time because it was such a novel experience and so it was always covered and I knew that it was uh, uh, an important facet of my young childhood so um, yeah at some point hey maybe even first grade that's when I said I want to be an astronaut. So you think about first grade wanting to be an astronaut growing up at the Mercury 7 Gemini and certainly Apollo and as you're going through school, you're starting to realize a lot of these subjects are pretty tough. The science, technology, engineering, and math. But what made you think you had the right stuff to be an astronaut? So, Rich, that's a really good question. And it goes back to 
college when I was about to graduate with my degree in math, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And I had kind of gone away from thinking about space. But as I was about to graduate, going, okay, what do I want to do now? You know, I did that, you know, that gut check, which a lot of folks do, and say, well, what did really interest me? And it was always space. So I said, I want to go back and be a part of our nation's space program. And the space shuttle was starting to be talked about and so forth. So I went into the only person that had anything to do with space at Texas Tech University. So I looked up in the catalog and I found aerospace studies and that happened to be the Air Force ROTC unit and some of their courses. So I went in to speak to the commandant of the cadets of that unit. And of course he was a big imposing man and he grabbed me by the shoulders and we started talking. and at some point during that time frame, when he said, do you really want to go in space? And I said, sir, I really want to go in space. And he says, well, how bad do you want to fly in space? And I said, sir, I want to fly the space shuttle and I'll clean the toilets in it someday if they'd let me. And and, and as a side story, that's what I did get to do as pilot, by the way. But it was right then and there that I made that mindset that I, I was going to be an astronaut. But going back to your original question, I never knew I had the right stuff to do that, right? In other words, I didn't know if I was a good enough pilot. I didn't know if my background was good enough. But I did know that I would take every opportunity to do the right thing, to make the right choices, to set me up to perhaps get selected to be an astronaut. Now, further down the line, when I started employing all the skills that the Air Force gave me and I started doing flight tests and put myself in difficult situations and knew I could handle it. Ah, somewhere along that line, Rich, all of a sudden it all came together and I knew I had the stuff. So if the right stuff is a unique set of ingredients that when you mix together create a spacefaring individual like yourself, tell me about the ingredients that you had to develop to become someone who could do all the things that you just mentioned. Flying that aircraft, flying the space shuttle, um, dealing with the plumbing on the space shuttle. What were all of what were those ingredients that you needed to bring to the young boy from Texas who had his eyes on the stars to have all that have have the ingredients to be, to have the right stuff. So, and ingredients is a good way to describe it. Another way is skill sets, as you said. So, in a way, I think I had the minimum number of ingredients to get selected to be a NASA astronaut. When I got there, I met so many more of my peers who had an even better, well-rounded set of skill sets. And if I could go back to my youth and say, okay, I want to be an astronaut, what do I need to do? I would develop many more of those skill sets that I know are important uh, to round yourself out as somebody that that NASA wants. But I did have enough of the skill sets and I had enough of the main skill sets and that main one was can I be a test pilot for a spacecraft and make sure that I make the right decisions at the right time to fly the vehicle and be able to communicate back to the um, the engineers on the ground, what needed to be done or what needed to be fixed or how can we improve things and remain collected and calm in difficult situations. So I did have that set of ingredients, but boy, I tell you, I would like to have had more when I got on orbit. And those are the things I always like to tell young adults. You know, what are those other things they can they can develop? 
So what do you think uh, those particular skill sets, if you were speaking to a young, well, you do speak to a lot of young audiences. When you tell them about yes. the ingredients besides science, technology, engineering, math, what are some of those other ingredients that you think that they should be putting in their mixing bowl? All right. Well, again, perfect question. And it's not always the knowledge upstairs that you need. Of course, that's a big part of it, but it's those skill sets, that transfer of, of uh, thinking to your hands, and can I do something with his hands to take advantage of the situation I am? So, if we think about all of the spacecraft that are have been developed, that we're presently using, and the ones that are gonna go in the future, on to the missions that NASA envisioned, so back to the moon and then on to Mars and so forth. Those are all machinery. They're still hands-on metal, fabric, rubber, gaskets, all that kind of stuff. And so were I to take a young person that said, I want to be an astronaut, I would say, yes, choose your path you want to go. Do you want to be the pilot, the astronaut that helps fly the vehicle? Um, do you want to be the scientist? Do you want to be the person that's going to use all of the equipment on board to understand our Earth around us and then deep space? But at the same time, I'd say, never turn down an opportunity to learn to do something that broads your ability to work with your hands and to understand the environment around you. So if somebody in your family comes to you and says, hey, do you wanna learn how to work on this car? Or do you wanna help me fix this lawnmower engine? Or do you want to learn a foreign language? Or do you want to play a musical instrument? Do that because that skill set that you develop for that thing blossoms out across so many different other needs that NASA has and that's what makes someone attractive to NASA. Can you come with a multifaceted sphere of skills that NASA may need for that one instant on that one space flight at that one time that makes sure that the mission gets completed successfully or keeps everyone out of harm's way? When you think of the people who were your teachers and mentors, who were some of those mentors that helped you gain those ingredients and skills that allowed you to succeed as a pilot and as a as an astronaut sure that's again it's a good question and i always tell young adults and youth that um, they're going to meet their mentors along the way and they need to recognize that mentor and to to cherish them so uh, my first one is that colonel that I was telling you about who who basically saw a raw young young man that uh, was excited to become a pilot and he said ah not only can I help shape this young individual but I can at the same time find me a good resource for the Air Force and so we basically helped each other and that gentleman uh, made sure that I got a pilot slot he made me realize that I had to learn to focus and that I had to plan out my path to become an astronaut, that I couldn't just um, say it without putting a plan and purpose. The next person was the one that I met um, soon after that when I went to graduate school and I was assigned my, my thesis advisor. And this was the gentleman who was, in contrast to the Colonel in the Air Force, was sly about it. He basically was behind the scenes 
nodding me to the left or pushing me to the right or turning my head a little bit or saying do this and he he was the gentleman who set me up to do my thesis well if I'm getting a master's in aerospace engineering I could have done anything but what did he help me choose I got to do my thesis on the uh, extra vehicular um, man maneuvering unit the um, the the device that some of the astronauts wore in space that was kind of like their uh, a, their space device that allowed them to free float away from the space shuttle and then come back if necessary and even though we didn't use that a lot uh, later in the space program it still was a program that I learned a lot about so I did my thesis on that and I ran computer simulations and then he uh, had me focus on being an operational aerospace engineer in other words less theoretical in other words I didn't worry so much about the equations and deriving them but how do I apply those equations and that's what I needed to succeed in test pilot school and that's what I needed when I got to NASA was that operational bent and so I've come to honor him over all these years uh, because he put me up for awards and did all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't know now at some point the mentoring kind of stopped right because I was old enough and, and I had grasped everything and there was a period of time when I was taking care of myself and my wife was my partner so she wasn't my mentor but she was my partner in succeeding in what we did together and then at some point Rich as you know the mentorship kind of flips and now it becomes well I've got to find those young adults that I can help mentor like someone did for me so hopefully that was a, an interesting story there it's about paying it forward oh very much so you know doing for some others what those did for me so you've been a pilot in the Air Force been a pilot in the astronaut corps you have been in very competitive high-stress high-impact areas and I'm curious after having been the done those experiences and now looking to pay it forward has your definition of the right stuff changed or are those ingredients still pretty much the same yeah they're very much the same they that right stuff persona that book and that persona kind of melded right at the time that I had um, was working on my graduate degree and I was about to go into the Air Force and knowing that 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 term was at there I understood it in its raw forms when I was young which is uh, you know the, the the desire to challenge oneself and to accept risk um, but over the years it matured greatly and uh, became um, a more complete person of who I am in a sense it's just now that the the term right stuff uh, envelops much more than just flying right so the right stuff I think is that set of character traits that each of us must have if we're going to have an impact on the world around us a positive impact on the world around us and that to me is where I am right now looking forward to that opportunity to positively impact uh, you know my my peers and the community around me and especially my nation which has given me so much what's the biggest misconception about a career as an astronaut I think the part that is not 
expressly thought about all of the time is the extensive amount of risk analysis that astronauts and and all of those that are associated with our nation's space program do. So take the launch that just occurred recently, um, the SpaceX launch, and then you had the two astronauts from NASA, two peers of mine that were there when I was in the office, as they went into the Dragon space capsule and then were launched. The public knows that that's got risk involved, but what they don't know is that there was 18 years of engineering and risk analysis and risk reduction that was done during that time frame to get us to that point uh, where the risk was brought down to a to a level that was acceptable. And so I don't think um, that the, the basic public, those that are not involved in things such as aviation or um, places and events that have physical risk behind them, that they realize the extensive amount of risk analysis and this risk balancing that astronauts must do in partnership with all of the, the NASA and contractor, the, the private industry that's involved in the space program, that extensive amount of risk analysis that astronauts are doing on a daily basis. How did the astronaut experience change your life and how did it change your family? So, I think for the, that's two parts, so let's take the second half first. How did it change my family? Well, it was one event that changed my family, and that was the loss of Columbia in 2003, February 1st. And I say that because I had the flight just before that mission. And so we were celebrating the success of our flight. Columbia was commanded by a very close friend of mine. I had known from my hometown for many years, um, you know, Colonel Rick Husband, a very good man. In fact, I had known his wife since elementary school, so that shows you how connected we were. But when that event occurred, um, I sat down with Mary, my wife, and said, so where are we right now uh, within the spectrum of what we want to do with our family and so forth? And we made the decision because I had just flown twice in the space program and we weren't going to fly for a while and Operation Iraqi Freedom had just started and Mary and I both knew we had strong peers and, and camaraderie in the Air Force to make the decision to go back to the Air Force to see if we could positively contribute that way. So I'm talking to you, Rich, and my connection with the Space Foundation can be traced back to that decision we made in Houston back in 2003 um, and it was a difficult decision. It wasn't easy that we chose to leave NASA at that time because I had worked so hard to get there uh, and and had thought that I would be there longer. But you know, life never is a straight path. It you know it throws us the curveballs, and so we have to adapt. Now, how did this change me as a person? Uh, I. I felt that being successful in the space program, in other words, having been part of the missions that helped build the space station, gave me the confidence, even though I had it there in many different ways, it gave me the total confidence to say, I'm willing to try new things and accept the failure that occurs and try and step way outside the, the part of just being in aviation and just being an, a pilot and just being you know a retired astronaut and so that's why 
you know, I find again where I am right here talking to you, doing the things I am, is because I I've had that, I guess that desire to continue to find challenges, and having been an astronaut gives me the confidence to try, uh, knowing that the outcome may not be what I choose it to be. Every astronaut has a mission, even after they park their spacecraft. So what's Paul Lockhart's mission today? So I'm not ready to, um, you know, I'm not ready to, to sit on the front porch and sit in a rocking chair per se, even though there is lots to be said for uh, doing that. I still feel like I have a lot of energy pent up inside and there's things I want to, to do and accomplish. So what is it that I want to do? I, I want to leave a positive um, impact in some way. Right? In other words, I feel like I was fortunate, like you do, Rich, in the Space Foundation, at contributing to our nation's space program, in the, in the space program on a, global, on a global basis. But I think that I can also find a way to contribute and connect myself back to my youth a bit. And so I'm looking for ways to connect with our youth and show them that um, their ability to develop themselves now as young adults in a positive manner, combined with the, the desire to think outside of just sitting inside and playing video games and so forth can lead them to exciting uh, adventures in their life. So what about those adventures? Tell me about Virtus Adventures. Oh, oh, I appreciate you asking. So for the longest time I said, man, I would really like to write an adventure book not knowing whether I can write don't know whether I really can sit down and create something that's of interest to, to young adults, but like I said, I'm willing to try and fail if, if that's what it may be. But I thought, I want to write a book for youth. And I and I hearken back to the books I read when I was a young boy. So the first ones were just uh, fiction, adventure stories, but then I moved on to um, you know biographies about our adventurers, um, during the world, so Marco Polo, age-appropriate ones, right, as I was a young boy and a teenager, and then eventually, as you can imagine, during college and beyond these, progressed into full-fledged historical biographies to understand the world around us. So I decided I wanted to write a book for these young boys, but and I, and I would start the books, and then I would, or the book, and then I just was thinking, how do I know what they want? So a thought came to me one time that said, well, why don't I try and find a way to write the, a book with young adults, especially with the technology we have? So I said, I'm gonna create a website. I'm gonna call it Virtus Adventures because Virtus is the Latin word that speaks to character. And with that thought process, my goal is to uh, begin an interaction with youth on uh, the internet through a website and then Facebook and then all of those other social media being all appropriate and find a core group of, of young adults that are interested in adventure and and paving their own way using their inner character and developing that character to become good citizens of the United States and, and to find their own adventure someday, whatever that may be. Yeah, it may be in music, it could be in sports, it could be in teaching could be in medicine, could be in broadcasting, right? Each of those disciplines and the thousands more that they can find themselves involved in in the future all require courage and, and integrity and, and the basic characteristics that you and I both believe in, Rich, and 
So I hope to be able to do that with them instead of just for them. So if I'm a young person and I'm interested in space or going on an adventure with you, how would I go about having that adventure with you or participating in the writing of this story? Hey, come join me. That's pretty simple. I I was a neophyte in this internet website and Facebook, and I still am. I, I have to go talk to my young daughter many times to say, now how does this work? Or you know, talk to actually even younger children or younger adults uh, get down to the age appropriate and say, now how does this work? How do I upload these things? But yeah, just come to my website at vertusadventures.com or find me on Facebook and you can join me on live Facebook events. I've had several of these where we talk about uh, some of the adventures I've had and now I want to start bringing in some of the adventures they have. Maybe it's just around the house. Um, as an example, I talked about a hike I did to New Guinea many years ago and the sights and the sounds of being deep in the tropical rainforest. Um, but I also want to expand this out and bring in other um, individuals that I think that these young, that these, these youth would find to be good mentors and role models. And so I have, as you have too, Rich, across my career, met so many good people and I know many of them would be willing to come and spend 10 minutes and talk about how they had to be courageous at the right time and the decisions they made that as a whole made them better people and contributors to their society, their community, and to our nation. Paul, as I'm talking to you, you've got this great bookcase behind you of some absolutely <laughs> fabulous books. Uh, everything from 1776, John Adams, uh, Theodore Rex. Uh, you know, again, you've got some great stories there. But I'd like to, as you think about the stories that you read as a, as a youth, and and you mentioned the historical biographies. I'd like you to select two or three people that if Paul could have lunch with, and to sit down with a group of young people, and to sort of coach them on their adventure in life, whether that be in space or elsewhere. Who would be those two or three people you'd like to have at your lunch table? Well, I, some of them are going to be very familiar names, and I think that's understandably so, but I think many of them are mis, misknown, and that's because we reference them in our history very quickly, but once you delve into them, I think that they're, they're really very important to who we are as a nation. And the first of these is George Washington. Yes, I know, everybody knows that name, dollar bill, all of this. But when you start and think about that our nation was founded on certain principles and it was very fragile when it started, yet we had one person um, uh, at that time who not only led the Continental Army and then presided over the Continental Congress, and or the the you know the event that formed the Constitution and then served as president for two terms, uh, we would not have been a successful nation had that one person. And it could have been somebody else, but that George, that person George Washington was the right person at the right time. And there's so much that speaks to who we are as Americans. So that's one. Um, there's another one I'll name. Uh, that I've read the book, of course, uh, a long time ago, 
and that's Jacqueline Cochran. You may or may not know that, but she was a world-famous aviatrix, so a female pilot in the uh, 30s, 40s, and, and 50s, and she spanned the time of flying propellers all the way to jet aircraft, and her story, having risen from, um, from very meager means, from poverty or so, to becoming a respected um, proponent of aviation in the United States, told me so much about the courage that she had to have. So that would be another one. Let's bring us up now to um, this time frame. And, uh, you know, a, somebody that I would like to meet right now that I think uh, a lot of would be, for example, Condoleezza Rice. So Condoleezza Rice uh, got her degree uh, in Russian studies and then served in our United States government. and. Um, was head of the national uh, was the national security advisor. So she um, also, having been African American, had to tread so many different areas. Not only um, the divide between um, being an African American in predominantly white area, but dealing with national security issues as a woman, and then being right on the front stage, especially during. Um, the wartime in the the war on terror in the early 2000s you know her biography speaks a lot to me too so those are three I could name many many more of course Rich and you and I of course we could sit down and have dinner and talk about many of these I'm sure ourselves well maybe we'll be able to get some of those people to dinner or lunch (laughs) at some point but uh, uh, let me ask this that how important is character to a per to a person's success I think it drives at the source of, of all success because, um, you know, success is defined in many ways, but to have a long-term impact on the positive on a society means that uh, your character had to be there for you to be successful. And at the center of that, the reason why someone or as something is is successful is because of trust and as you and I both know if somebody's character is not self-centered and stable and to be known uh, trust can't be developed and without trust then challenges can't be addressed obstacles can't be overcome Uh, people won't explore people won't take it won't take risks and so trust is at the very heart of what um, a society needs to thrive and that comes from all of us um, having a core set of characters uh, of traits that allow us to be um, meaningful to each of us as an individual and then collectively as a society Paul, you're a gifted speaker. I, I've seen you present to a couple, to a number of different audiences, and you speak to all ages and all different types of groups on your life and experiences. What's the message that when someone leaves your presentation, what's the message you want to make sure they take away from their time with you? Sure, that's. That's easy. So I speak both nationally, so here in the U.S., and then I'll speak internationally. And, and sometimes the messages are different. Within the U.S., I want them to understand that the United States is one of the few countries that 
has brought together all three parts of its society, that being the, the national will, the economics, and the technology, and bring this together under a bold and daring plan to, to try and do that which is most difficult. I can't say it any more eloquent than what John F. Kennedy said. We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are difficult. And I, I want every young person and even adult that I speak to um, in the U.S. to understand that we, the United States, sit at a unique position and that we should feel very proud that we have a space program that is respected and revered around the world and that they are a part of it. I can always point to somebody and say, you know somebody that's part of our nation's space program. Internationally, I want the audience to understand that the United States is a leader in space technology and um, space flight and that we choose to do so on a collaborative basis, that we, we want to work with them in order to do the deep space uh, exploration that's going to come in the future and that we can do so in a partnership and that many of these nations have such a long history and strong legacy of aviation that uh, they are willing and able partners and I saw that when I was at NASA because I was part of the largest class that had many international students and what they brought to NASA were bits and pieces that I learned to absorb and make a part of myself and my uh, experiences as an astronaut as well. Paul, you lead a group called Virtuous Adventures, and I'd like to know, what's the big adventure that Paul Lockhart still wants to embark on? <laughs> That's very interesting. You know what I would really like to do? I feel like when I started my Air Force career, I started out in one of the oldest aircraft in the Air Force, and I ended up in one of the most newest aircraft, and then I had a chance to go back and, or not go back, then I had a chance to advance and fly the space shuttle. So what a wonderful experience to go from, yeah, from the er, one of the earliest jets to the space shuttle. The complexity was just overwhelming, and I learned so much in all of, the, in all of those platforms. Uh, but you know what I'd like to do now is take a step a giant step backwards, if that makes sense, and go back to my Texas roots and um, become, uh, I wouldn't call it an, an expert, but become comfortable with, um, if this is going to sound a little odd, horsemanship. And I say that because what I would very much want to do at some point is to, f to retrace a part of America's history on horseback and experience what um, those individuals at that time would have had to do the challenges and the the challenges they had to face the risks that they had to over you know to address and how did they do that and and so when you look behind me at the books I have there you know every time I read about um, the, the the great undertakings that the men and women um, across the globe, but especially in the United States, because of course that's where we're from, then I always say, gee, if I could just absorb that a little bit better. So if I can find a way to do that in the future, I will. So you're a fan of Westerns? <laughs> you 
You know, I that's a good question. I I, I do like to read historical westerns per se, uh, but I'm a fan of all good movies, not just westerns. Final question: What's the best piece of advice that someone has ever given to you that has made all the difference in your life as an explorer? That's a hard question, and I. I can't answer that, but I'm not going to answer it in that one person gave me this advice. It is a consistent message that continues to bubble up as I went through my career. And it's two parts. One I would hear, and then the other person, or at another time I would hear the second part of this decree or so, when these people that I admired would sit there and say, this is how you should be. and it is be bold and do not be afraid to fail and I think that encaptures um, the books behind me I think that encaptures uh, our nation I think that encaptures what the Space Foundation does I think that encaptures what our nation's space program is and I hope that it encaptures um, a little bit of myself you know be bold and don't be afraid to, to fail and so um, for me uh, stepping out and, and trying to write a book with some young adults is a bold step for me, right? I mean, for folks, some folks, that would not be hard. But for me, that's a big, big event. So um, I'm going to try and do my best to make it successful. But um, within the maximum of what I just said, I'm not going to be afraid to fail. Paul, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, those of us at the Space Foundation are very grateful to have people like you in our orbit that engage the next generation of explorers, but are so willing to share your time, your energy, and your experience to engage a student, a teacher, a parent, uh, a space enthusiast, a space industry uh, entrepreneur. Uh, your story is one that is of inspiration and in encouraging people to be bold take those risks, fail fast, and learn from that, and move forward. Uh, that is what space exploration is all about. That's what exploration and adventure is all about. Uh, again, Paul leads a program called Virtus Adventures. You can find more information about that at virtusadventures.com, where Paul will be happy to engage uh, young people in uh, writing their new adventure story as he continues his own. So this is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation thanking you for joining this Space for You podcast, reminding you that you can always find more information about what is happening at the Space Foundation at spacefoundation.org as well as discoverspace.org. And again, the things that we do always benefit from your support. We ask you to uh, consider a donation to us as a 501c3. Your help allows us to make a bigger impact around this world everywhere. Because at the Space Foundation, we always have space for you. Thank you for your time.